Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative types about how they do their thing, how they keep it going. This week, my guest is playwright Justin Tanner. He's one of my favorite playwrights. I've been seeing his shows since the 90s. Uh, shows like Pot Mom, Teen Girl, Zombie Attack, uh, Intervention, Heartbreak Help. So many great comedies. And he's got a new play called El Nino that is coming to Los Angeles. And we're going to talk to him all about that. But first, uh, I want to get a little plug in for my LifeCast business. Um, the website's getalifecast.com. Uh, what I do is people hire me to interview them about their lives. Or perhaps you get it as a gift for your parents. Mother's Day is coming up. Father's Day is coming up. And you're able to get your story down um, on an audio file that's easy to share on phones or wherever you are online. And uh, it's a way of capturing those stories and sharing them with the people that you love. And as you all know, I love to talk to people about their lives. So learn more about that at getalifecast.com. I'm actually recording this from New York, where I've come to do three interviews for LifeCast. Um, I've finished them all, and they were all so great and moving in different ways and stories that were surprising and poignant and funny. And, uh, it was really great. I felt really, um, privileged to be able to, to hear the stories from people about their lives. So again, the, the website's getalifecast.com. All right. Without any further ado, here is Justin Tanner. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the beautiful Highland Park home of Justin Tanner, playwright, web series creator extraordinaire. It's a beautiful Sunday. The birds are chirping. It's lovely here. Thank you. Do you love this neighborhood? Oh, yes. It's really, uh, uh, we've lived here for 18 years. Wow. And uh, there's three gold line stations within walking distance, and uh, the neighborhood has kind of gone over uh, through it. It's huge. probably changed a lot. Yes, since we moved in here, mostly there there were a few trashy houses on the street, and now right. all of them have been flipped and turned into uh, showcases. You know, little show houses. I love it. It's so cool. Um, so you have a new play. I do. I'm so excited because I love all of your plays. Uh, it's called El Nino, um, and it's at the. It's through Rogue Mach- Rogue Machine. Yes, it's the production um, company, but it's going to be showing in Hollywood. Yes, it's uh, they. Their their home now is where the Met Theater used to be. It's near uh, Western and Santa Monica. The lush, uh, delightful Santa Monica and Western. I know. Um, I mean, that's the place to be. That well, intersection. <laughs> I think most people most people uh, take Lyft or Uber now to yeah. destinations in Hollywood. So for, uh, if you're doing that, it's great. If you're looking for parking, it might be an issue. Right. Um, yes, yeah, so my first play in seven years, and uh, I'm very excited to be working with the Rogue Machine, um, which is. What the cast theater used to be, the Rogue Machine. I, I don't, maybe it's not the Rogue Machine. I think they prefer Rogue Machine. Sorry, guys, if I got it wrong. All right. But with, what the cast theater used to be, kind of the premier L.A. small theater. Right. That's who they are now. I love is. that. Well, I discovered you at the cast theater in the 90s um, through this organization called On the House. Do you remember what On I the House is? I do remember On the House. On the House was, was like you would call into this hotline, and they were there were places that had – Either half price tickets or discount tickets. There, I think they were five dollar tickets. Yeah, they were really cheap. No, actually, I think it was two dollars when you first you had to join this organization, which was kind of like going. I feel like you paid a membership thing. You did, but it was kind of like getting food stamps in a way. Like you would order, and then you, oh god, that's terrible to say. Right. But it was sort of like everything is going to be super discounted once you paid this. Right. But uh, we loved having, and a lot of times there were people in their sixties, seventies, and up. Yeah. But if they really dug your show. So how did you get involved in, in them? Well, I just heard about it somehow. And then I, I joined because I love to go to theater. And you would discover all kinds of new plays, plays that you hadn't uh, 
really been on your radar before and theater companies and stuff. And, and you would call in every week and then they would tell you the hotline. And I remember I would listen to the hotline and I printed out a form where I would literally write down every show and then decide what I was going to see. And uh, the first show of yours I saw was called Teen Girl and still one of my favorites. And Thank it you. was at the Cast Theater. And I just love your plays. They are humane and hilarious and the actors are great and they're unpretentious but they they have soul and heart and i can't get enough of them well, so i'm thrilled you. that there's a new one yes me too i yeah. really I, I stopped for a while i was kind of disenchanted with the la theater scene and I, you know, I had done a play a year almost every year for 22 years and, yeah and I, I i needed to put down the gauntlet for a little while yeah um but I'm happy to be back. It's very exciting to walk into a theater. I've been going to rehearsals and yeah. it's a beautiful set. And it's, I don't know, it's also, this is the first time my, uh, my experience where at the very first rehearsal, I was handed a uh, advance right. check. I actually, I'd never been handed a check wow. before in my 22 What's years. What's that like? Were you like, what is this? Guess, what do I, I do with it? Yes. Not only this, but all the actors too. I'll go, yeah. our, and we thought, really, it was great. And um, so, I, and then, there's I, I'm back in the old days. We would just do our own costumes, and yeah. somebody but Andy would build the sets. The sets were always great, though they were awesome. No, but it was it was the, but it like, was, epitomized the in-house version. Yeah, it of stuff. was. Let's and put on a show. So it's wild now to have where there's a staff of all these people at all the top of their particular uh, uh, games at the time, and and you know I was in the lobby. The actors were getting their heads measured by the costume designer, right? And we've never had a costume designer who is measuring anybody's head, right? Ever. It's just like, it's oh, this is what it's like. Yeah, no, it's really lovely. I remember once I got a job as a host on a pilot, and they were going to send somebody to get coffee for us, <laughs> and I just thought, oh my god, somebody's going to get coffee for me. Like a, they're doing a Starbucks run and the host, you know, you stay and work on your hosting. They're going to go get coffee for you. And it's the, I think it's that feeling of like you've been doing things on your own for so long that you you just feel like there, that there might even be somebody that does part of it in a little way. It's just. Yeah. Oh, um, no, it's terrific. It's it's also just like, well, wait, hold it. I'm, I'm used to having, you know, I, I would answer the phones and I'd stage manage the plays and I'd pick all the sound cues and and it was and on my web show I do everything uh, right yeah. edit, um, so it's been a while since I've just said okay everyone come to the table and yeah. bring what you have and this it has been really um, a great experience uh, to just sit back and watch. And you're not directing? No, this no. One. Yeah. no. I stopped directing in about 2009. I I just don't have the temperament for stage directing. Yeah, I would always lose my. You're I can't cool. Say the S you could totally say I, you're okay, the S word. I would lose I would lose my shit. But you did a lot of it. Yes, I did it forever. And you did it forever and then decided I'm not suited for this. That's, that's what's interesting. Well, so yes. Well, I think I had um, one of my actors, uh, my actors, one of the guys in my company, John Palmer. You know yeah, John Palmer, of course. And we were uh, uh, college roommates. Right. That's how long I've known him. And he and I got into a really bad fight. Uh, I think it was on Wife Swappers. Yeah. And it, Save just, room for cock. Okay. <laughs> yes, like that's a pink snapper. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so we, we have to talk. We'll talk okay, about right. that a little bit later because I have a funny story about it. Oh, so did you just see it in, in the valley? I saw it in the valley. I saw it like a bunch of times, and, and I would bring friends. Oh, you did. The, oh, I would I bring just... friends. And we would just be obsessed with it. And I remember one year for Christmas, I everyone I I got like ten friends to come, and I had one friend that I was really good friends with, but he was a little prudish about his entertainment and uptight mm -hmm. and i think he was so shocked and like it was a weird thing and i was like wow 
I thought all of my friends were kind of on that same page with me, but clearly not. He was just kind of, uh, he was, he was scandalized. Well, I, I, I don't know if I should tell this story, but I'm going yeah. to, because I don't Do care. It. But yeah. when, um, uh, I, I was Facebook friends with Robbie Bates, you know, the playwright Robin Bates. John Robin Bates, yes. yeah. And I, I, we got along, we had great conversations, and he came to see uh, Wife Swappers, and right. he was playing at the Zephyr on Melrose. Yes. And I, I watched the show, I watched him laughing, his, he brought his mother, he brought, uh, oh gosh, anyway, I'll, I'll think of the name of the actress, but an actress and her boyfriend, I was right. like, oh, all these people. So I was kind of watching. Yeah. They loved it, the audience loved it. I, I wouldn't know if they loved it, but they laughed a lot. Okay. Right. At the end of the show, I walked out, and he was so offended and so upset and so disgusted um, that uh, we eventually end, had ended our friendship over it. Um, he just said that he he said he was sp- he struck speechless by about how offensive my play was, which I couldn't believe. I so, can't believe it either. And it's hilarious, and it's it's not that it's not that shocking. Or I thought it was hilarious. My one of my favorite elements of it is the, the, these this. Um, these couples wife swap, and there's a room where all of this stuff is going on that you don't see, and then they come out into the kitchen in the area. And I just love that half of the things they talk about are the hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, no, and there's the deep fryer. It's like food is like, uh, oh, what is in this? I got to get this. Yeah, the like, recipe for crab dip. She gets, oh, no, she makes the recipe for the, for the uh, weenies wrapped in a blanket for... for right, and, and meanwhile, just all of this sex is going on off stage, mm-hmm. and they're just talking about how they had a deep fryer built into the counter or something like that. Yes, and they're all... And they're, they're all Orange County Republicans. That's, yeah. That's really what upset, because I think that Robbie Bates is, um, I could be wrong, but I think he's a righty. I think that he, uh, politically, I think he's politically Really? Right. Uh, or at least he was back at that point. Yeah. we got into, oh, you know, back in the beginning days of Facebook, I would, uh, uh, beginning is my, just get into yeah. political discussions. And I, 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 escalates and suddenly blocks, that's it. He blocked me and that was the end I of am Facebook. shocked by that. I do not get that at all. Because your plays are very, um, even the ones that are a little more irreverent or whatever, are very compassionate and humane. And anyway, that shocks me. Eh, yes. I know, but th- that's kind of a surprise. Mm-hmm. So tell me about El Nino. What's the setup? What's it about? Oh, okay. Well, I can. T- uh, 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 I had, I get. Oh, I had plantar fasciitis a couple of years ago. Yeah, I don't know if you know that. I things. know what that is because I had it too. It's in your foot. Yeah, yes, I had on both feet, and it was so both feet. Yeah, it was so bad that I, I, I really couldn't walk. Yeah, and I had it was coupled with this kind of sciatica condition, so I couldn't sit. So I was I couldn't sit or stand without any kind of pain. So I was laying oh my on God. my side, and it went on for months and months I, and months. Oh God. I got kind of suicidal. And at one point, um, and I hadn't written a play in a long time. One point, I, I really decided to write myself. Out of killing my, no, I shouldn't say that, but write myself out of my. No, deep people depression. go there. People go there on this podcast. So, and, it's, and so, it's, so I would say this place saved my life. And I oh wrote my on god, a, Justin, on, on an old-fashioned typewriter, uh, um, a royal that makes the, the really hard to press the keys. And I um, just started. I think it was like January third of two years ago, uh, and then I wrote it in about two months. And I, I did a lot of rewriting, but it came out pretty. In any case, it's it's so so. It's about a person who happens, is going through that condition. Oh my so gosh! So it's a little bit about pain. Um, uh, it's I don't want to tell too much about it, except for it, it's a uh, uh, it's about writer's block, a woman with writer's block who in her fifties who goes home to stay with her parents and then doesn't want to leave, 
and doesn't want to get back to her life, and her parents want to keep their life. It's it's a little bit of that empty, not empty, the return to the nest yeah. sort of situation, but it's uh, uh, it's uh, a redemption story. That it's a love story, and there's it is uh, my cat Oscar is in it. Uh, the I story love it. So and it's uh, um, really super personal, but mostly just because uh, pain and suffering uh, was translated into something uh, useful. Because when I figured out I could turn my suffering into something useful, it really changed everything. And uh, so the, this, and then it took two used. I used to write a play, and it would be in rehearsals immediately, and it right. would open with three or okay, six weeks from finishing the play, it would open. Right. And this has been two years, which is really kind of. I mean, that's. I don't want to get anybody mad, but when Equity came in and decided they were going to just tell right. us your buff, well, the way you've been doing theater for God knows how many years, it's over. Suddenly, you couldn't be poor and do theater. You had to uh, get, God, almost a hundred grand from yeah. somewhere, somehow. And I'm lucky because I have enough of a, a history that I can still get producers. I mean, it took two years, but eventually I'll get a producer who's my play. But if I was just starting out now in this new environment here, yeah. and I'm all for union and everything, but this was this seemed like a needless way of leveling the playing field because they didn't like the fact that certain actors who had not paid their dues, literally and um, figuratively, were able to get their picture in the LA Times. So you could be in a play of mine, and you could just be fresh out of college, and then there are actors who have been trying to slug around for years, and they couldn't get their picture in the LA Times, and this was the kind of loophole, and they had to cut that loophole off. I'm telling you, that's to me, that's why... That's, that's what it's about. Uh, for me, is that they were, well, they're getting some for nothing. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit of that. It's like, no... Ask French Stewart or any and or even uh, all these actors, Pamela Siegel, uh, um, that they got seen in tiny little plays, right? And it altered their entire careers, right? And those opportunities are now going to be gone. So it's it's screwy. It's really screwy, right? Because the first time I saw French Stewart was in one of your plays, yeah. and then not that long, a few years later, there he was on Third Rock from the Sun. Yes, in between he had got WKRP in Cincinnati, yeah. and they did the re and he did two seasons in one. Yeah. So he. But, it, got, but do you think the exposure that he got in your show was one of the things that, that set him on his way? Yes, and he yeah. he, he would admit it. And, and yeah. when Pamela Siegel was in um, Heartbreak Help, yeah. uh, gosh, uh, Warren Littlefield came to see the show to check her out. Yeah. And, well, I mean, he was just flipped for her. And then she was doing... I mean, she was she was going places anyway because she's an amazing talent. But I, I just think that they, it's... I don't, I don't want to get on my soapbox, but it's it's a different landscape. Um but I'm just perfectly... I'm happy that a theater came up and produced me. Right. Where does the name El Nino come from? Oh, um, well, if you remember, two years ago was when we were promised that big El Nino. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, I'll read about... Because to me, it's it's the... Uh, we want El Nino because we're dying out here with no water, but El right. Nino is going to destroy us. So I thought right. that it was a great... Great. It was an interesting metaphor about the thing you wish for is also the thing that destroys you. Right. So be careful what you wish for. But, you know, it's like we want water. Well, you get the idea. I so love it. that's where it came from. And then El Nino didn't happen that year, if you remember. We had no rain. Right. And so I thought, oh, great. Because I had to totally rewrite the play to be about what if the thing you're hoping for that would almost kill you doesn't happen. You know, so whatever. Then it, be, it added its own little layer of depth. And then next year we had that big rain. Yeah. Season. So then I rewrote it again. So it's whatever. I, I, it, it means child, or it mostly was just about the. Th- um, 
God, you know what? I don't want to give too much away. That's way. okay. Okay, but so, but but it's but it's an element, and and then it'll resonate yes, when we raining. see it. It's raining. I love. There it you raining. go. I love that. So, how are you doing now with your pain and stuff? Is that oh, better? It went, um, it, uh, thank goodness to Obamacare, uh, I got to to because I have been yeah. living below the poverty line for quite a while now. Um, I went over and got night splints and uh, orthopedic inserts, and yeah. that changed. It took a long time. It takes. Yeah, I, I had. It took about um, maybe. I still can't. I have to put my feet over a tennis ball and. Yeah, I had I had that for a while with one foot. Oh, and, and I, yeah, and I don't think I, I didn't have it nearly as bad. But it's especially in the morning. You wake up in the morning and you take that first step, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Yes, it, I gotta say, wearing the night splints helps that. Yeah, because it keeps your feet prone, so yeah. you don't, your first few steps are bad. Um, yeah, but anyway, fuck it. It's oh, sorry. Um, but you got I, something out of it. Oh, I did. I did. And this is that now. The good thing, not to get metaphysical, but is that any time something comes along that I. It feels like, oh my God, God's putting his thumb on me or right. whatever. I now have this knowledge that, okay, just wait a while try and don't like make it needless. Right. Suffering is going to lead to something. I mean, I right. have, uh, especially if you're an artist, it's not like anybody wants to seek it out, but you know, I, uh, anyway. I'm really inspired by that because I relate to it in a lot of ways. Um, who are we going to see in this play that I might know? Miley Flanagan. Yes, Miley. Uh, hilarious. Miley, who is the, who really is, this play is her play. Um, and I wrote it for her. She's, she's sort of like the, uh, standing in for the author. Because she's a science fiction writer in the book. Oh, I love it. Uh, um, and, and, um, Daniel Kennedy. Okay. You, and, uh, Melissa Denton, who are all. I recognize, she's from, uh, Holiday Office Party too. Yes. Yeah. And, and Joe Keyes, who did Bob's Office Party. Yes. And John Palmer, of course. From Pot Mom and, yeah, and a lot Day of drinkers. Yeah. He's been in more plays probably than anybody else. And, uh, an actor named Nick Ullett, who, uh, was the only person that we auditioned for the, the part. Awesome. He was just fantastic and funny. I'm so excited. Yeah. But so you're talking about needing to raise all of this money. So well, is I there mean, a hope? No, but somebody has oh, to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it a hope that some of these things can be practical? Or, or pro- profitable, I mean? Um, In other words, gosh. can people make back $100,000 if that's what it costs them out of play? God, no. Probably then it not. seems like it has to be like a rich person's hobby or uh, it's, something like that. Yes, it is. It's, it's unfortunate. It's just the way that the culture has shifted there. Um, but, I mean, I don't... Um, one thing is I do think art will find a way to be created even in a vacuum. It will right. find a way to be created. It's just a bummer um, that it's just it's going to be more difficult. Right. Um, I, I, and, and it's going to be more of a point of... Uh, I, you know what? I can't... I, I'm hoping... You know what? I don't even know. I, <laughs> maybe there's a way that we can create another sort of union here that's for small theater artists right. that is doesn't get um, translated as community theater right. so that the uh, critics will still come and see it. But like the right. Odyssey Theater, and I don't know if you know this, but the Odyssey Theater is now totally non-union because they can't follow the equity thing. So Right, so they're just can, casting non-union actors. Mm-hmm. And the director, wow. James, and the Odyssey is like an established, yeah. well-respected, it's been here for decades. and it, That was just a, um, a friend, of, but which is not to say that there aren't really good actors out there, but the director, Lisa James, who's directing El Nino, just to direct a play over there last year. Right. Um, and luckily, but she said she had to see like over 100 people just to get the six people that she could use. Right. Because it's just a different kind it's of... It's a different pool. Yeah. And then you don't get reviewed. Or you know, not by the... It's, it isn't like... 
I mean, what are reviews anyway now? I mean, the papers are all dying, so I guess somebody's blog is, gets as many hits yeah. as the LA Times review. Social media, all of that stuff. It's so such a changing landscape. Um, did you feel as you were writing it that it, that it was helping you to deal with the, the pain and stuff like that? Or was that something that kind of hit you once you got through it? Uh, no, it really, it was, it, it was like a, I, it was like church. Yeah. Really. And I would write uh, all day long. And I finished the first draft, and I read it, and, went, and just started in the second draft, and typed it up, and went. And I think about the fourth draft, I started bringing actors into it. Yeah. And I was in. I'm telling you, f- five minutes into the first reading with actors, I knew that I was onto something. That the play itself was different than my previous plays, or that all my worries were, <laughs> all my worries were over. Um, I don't really mean that literally, but no. I, but you, you, because I think when you first finish writing something, you don't really. It could be. Brilliant. It could be a piece of shit. You yes. don't really know. And so when that relief of like, okay, there's something here. Yes. That's and great. I, I was like, okay, phew. Right. Yeah. So uh, when you talk about typing on the typewriter, I get, I feel like that's so romantic and old school writer, but I'm imagining the anxiety of like, oh God, I made a mistake and I can't back up or, you know what oh, I mean? You know, when I do the first draft, I, I, it's all, I spell however I want. Right. I don't even... The, the great thing about it that makes it better in a way for first drafts than computers is that I just make a bargain that I'm not going to stop. I'm not yeah. going to turn around and go back. Um, which is, you know, I guess even Tennessee... I'm not sure. Some, one of, somebody famous said, like, don't do any rewrites till the, you get to the end of the first draft. Don't even look at it. Right. Just, get, just keep just going. Just plow through. And you can say the end whenever you want to. Right. But, you know, get into it, and I would, but, but that's it, something about the typewriter made me just go, yeah, put the next page in, tap, 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 done, and then I could, when 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 there's pages, you can see how um, I used to call it uh, bug crushing stage when it was big enough to smash a bug, right? If you hit it, I knew that I had, <laughs> I had enough pages written, and I was like, oh look at this, yeah. But it, when it's all in here, you can't really it, it, it the sensation, the tactile thing. I don't know how long it is. I don't even know what a page really is on a computer screen. Yeah. As in, anyway, so I want to try that. I need to get a, a typewriter and try writing something that way. I th- it sounds uh, like a great, great way to sort of get through that first vomit draft or yeah, whatever. And yes, any way, anything to get you through it. And that one got this that particular got me through this one. So thank God. You know. I love it. Um, the last play you did before this was Voice Lessons, or was uh, it no, um, Day a Day Drinkers? Yes, 2011. Love it. And then there was um, Voice Lessons was. Before that, uh, uh, no, a play called Procreation, which had a, uh, which I don't know if I saw that. Well, I, um, it I w- can't believe that. I would say it was pro- probably my least well-received show ever. It was. Um, Where did you do it? At the Odyssey. Okay. And um, the head critic from the L.A. Times, who I was like, oh, good, the head critic's coming. And he was yeah. newish, and boy, he really just eviscerated me. Um, in, in a very public way. Oh, man. Uh, because I, and, and I got, uh, kind of went into a, a tailspin after yeah. that. Um, I tell you, it, 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 what you, it cured me from reading reviews. Yeah, did so you now, decide at this point that I don't read them? So now I, you, it really is that way. I think, oh, people always do. And I'm like, no, I don't care. I don't care. I, I, um, I mean, I, I cared more when I was kind of running a theater, so I was kind right. Of well, you know, is this going to help us or not help us in terms of the, you know getting people in the seats? Sure. But I would say that I now this is pure no. On even on procreation, we extended, and we were at least sixty percent capacity even on our least uh, 
viewed nights. Right. And on our big sold out nights, we were completely sold out. You know, so. So when this show is up and running, are you going to go? Are you going to be there a lot? Oh, I'll be there every night. I'm yeah. Be, I told him I'm going to be you love, a fan you of the love. opera in the booth, watching <laughs> and never leaving. Because you, you love it. Yes. I, yeah. I remember that from the cast. You were always there. Because it's new. It's like watching, simp- whatever. It's a live performance, and and I'm I know I'm going to have a lot of friends who haven't seen my work in a long time, and yeah. Who knows when they're going to be showing up? But plus, it's all, it's. Who knows how long it's going to run, or if it's ever going to happen again, or if I'll ever get another play done again. Yeah. So I'm going to hump this right. and suck on this tit until it's dry. You're going to enjoy the thing, the thing that it is. Because I, I think, well, I don't know, when you start out, you think, oh, I do this and it's going to lead to this. And you start to imagine the what's going to come of it, instead mm-hmm. of just like uh, being, enjoying being, doing it and being being in the experience of what it is instead of what yeah. what it comes with. Reality cured me of that. Yeah, I think so. And I've been down that road. So, so many things that I thought might turn into something more and, you know, and they don't. And I was reading in a, a book about, um, it's called Learned Optimism. Uh, it's, a, it's a kind of psychology book. But anyway, the one of the things that makes people happy is engagement. Like if, if, if you have engagement in your life, you're engaged in what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, that that is one of the things that that uh, brings happiness um, to to people, and so when even when there's something that I'm not getting paid anything for, uh, it's, it's too much work for what it is or whatever. I'm like, no, I get to be engaged, and that in and of itself is is valuable. I yes, yeah. I agree. I'm so I'd be I'd be Phantom fun. of the Opera too. I'd be there every time and having the experience. Because I like I gotta say, once all the heartbreak's over. I like the post-show cocktail with the cast. The beer garden? Yeah. Oh, I wish. Yes. Cast used to have a beer garden, which yeah. was like the hangout. It was so fun. And then the third stage had the grotto. If you yeah. The place back there. Yeah. And even um, the Zephyr had a little outdoor area. Yeah. But with, you know, Andy's beer garden was the original kind of best. There was a night when, um, well, there was a night, the night that Clint Eastwood came to see a show there. And Andy said, oh, your money's no good here, Mr. Eastwood. And, we said, oh, whatever. It was great. Um, and, and there was a night that... Who's the I guy? love that Clint Eastwood came. Did he hang out in the beer garden with you? He didn't hang out, but he yeah. was there during intermission. But Cliff Robertson came one night because he was at his hotel down... Um, whatever, and, and he saw um, uh, Los Angeles Magazine had us listed. Right. So we came and saw Intervention, which was sold out that night. Yeah. Which French was in. Of and course. And he decided to stay for Zombie Attack. And, and and since Zombie Attack had been running for, God knows, maybe eight years by that time. Yeah. He... Um, there was nobody in the audience, and we were going to cancel the show. But he said, "I want to see the show." Right. So he sat. Cliff Robertson sat in the in the beer garden in between the shows and talked to us. Then he was the only person in the audience. You did zombie, zombie attack, attack for, just, for, just for Cliff Robertson. And hung, That's he, amazing. And then he hung out afterwards and, and told us stories till we were all ready to go home at like midnight. So that to me, where else could that happen? Where you're just playing to him alone? Amazing. It's nuts. It's, it's, I feel like for you, it's. It's not just the the play; it's the people around it, the after, the whole the social scene. The for social sure. scene with with people that are, yeah, with with the group. Like when I saw, it's like the Sopranos. It's like no, or, or the there was nobody from the outside. It's only yeah. this little or Goodfellas, or whatever. Right. But in sort of a different way, I like we we have a. a it's mob. like a tribe. Yes, it is, and and it it feels very. Uh, um, uh, it's I love it and it's safe and it's been a great uh, amuse for me for twenty five years at least. Um, did you said that this play is different than your other plays? In what way would you say? 
Um, uh, well, because I went through, I went through, I think, uh, a big change over the seven years that it took me to f- decide to want to write a play again. Yeah. Uh, including the going through the suffering and the pain period. Of course. Um, there's, I quoted this line from a, a Jane Austen book, uh, which it, it epitomizes this, which is like he had, he had, had ta- he had learned to suffer and had time to think two benefits he had never had in his life before. Right. There's some character who had a long illness. Right. And I was like, suffering a benefit? And I thought, how could suffering ever be a benefit? Because I was laying on my side reading. Um, and then I thought, for some reason, that, that book gave me the idea how to, uh, um, what was I going with this? Uh, I can't remember now. The, the, how it's different from your other plays. Oh, okay. That the so, way you, the, your state of mind as you were working on it so when, is probably oh, different. And also, here's the truth. Um, I, uh, that after Pop Mom, I got high for almost every play I wrote since then. Yeah. And I quit for the writing of that play. And it came from like, a, um, it just had a, I, with being high, you kind of, um, you can lose your train of thought and, and you can, the big picture, here's what I think, being high is you're, you're using Egyptian digging tools right. to start writing uh, on a huge block of cement. Right. And when you should be just having this, the sledgehammer and chunk, th- these chunks off and pot was not serving me. So this play, okay, so that's another aspect. Yeah, that's different. But I would say maturity, and, and it doesn't have the um, that overlapping buoyancy that my plays, so I, I, they, they needed to be at a certain pace or else they didn't really exist. Right. So like a shark, they had to keep moving They, they were very, even as an audience member, they're very specific. You, you get it, right, when, when people start talking. There's a, there's a, rap, a rapid pace that just... Heightens all the no, comedy. And there's and no um, um, air. Right. Uh, they can even talk slowly, but they just can't have any air between the lines. And yeah. this, um, I, it was mostly because I was insecure about my. I knew I could write plays, but I, I didn't think I was a good writer of dialogue. I mean, the dialogue was realistic, but I wasn't like writing beautiful lines, quotable lines, occasionally, um, like lines for posterity that you would look open, see at Samuel French. And something shifted in that I, um, my editor. Got better, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I hate to use the word better because I don't want to. It just got um, uh, uh, refined in a different way. And also, I was I had been on a bummer for a long time. Yeah, and I got out of it. And and back at the beginning, I, I used to think, oh, I'm going to be like Frank Capra. I'm going to write redemption stories with big happy endings. And yeah. I started to, and then I just wrote one bummer after another, funny but super cynical. And and I lost uh, a lot of faith in. Uh, uh, people's ability to actually communicate or link or make connections. A lot of my plays are about people who miss their connections because they right. are just too fucking self-serving or, or um, myopic or they're blind, you know, or not literally blind, but whatever. Anyway, for some reason, I, I, um, I here's what I'll say. I'll say everything before this, God, this is going to say, I would consider to be juvenilia. If you were talking about people that, the early part of their career and then the late right. part of their career, as as great as I think some of those plays are, none of them are going to get published without being seriously rewritten. And re- really, because a lot of them, if you looked at them now, they don't, they had a great immediacy and a punk quality, but as as works of art that are for, for posterity, I think maybe one or two of them would work as written, and most of the others would have to be seriously restructured and reworked. And and I hate to say that that is, but that's right. been, that's my experience about them. So well, I've always found your plays 
deeper than they would seem on the surface. I and I always loved that you weren't pretentious. You never had a title that was like perestroika, semicolon, the dis- deconstruction of the whatever. Your plays were called Top Pop Mom and Teen Girl. Like, and, and because they were set in L.A., they weren't New York intellectuals that worked as a professor. You know, they weren't those plays. They, they were set in, like, Salinas, and, and they weren't uh, about sort of intellectuals. And so they... They're, they're about little minutia and changes in people's lives that, like, like what, Bitter Women is just about a woman who's taking the bus... And by the end of the play, you feel like, oh, now she's going to be driving a car. Right. I mean, that's, that's the huge shift in her life. But I always found there to be so much depth and soul underneath all of that I, stuff. But here's, here's what, okay, I think you're right. but I wouldn't keep of, going back again and again. But a lot of that had to do with the actors and my relationship with them and what they brought automatically because the parts were written for them. And, right. And to me, they're more like movies that have already been cast and if you had to recast those certain movies, how could you do it? Right. Um, okay, like a lot of Marlon Brando, like Brando roles, let's say. Oh, God, no, I didn't mean to pull them out of there. Okay, but there's movies you think, oh, I could never, you could never recast that part. Sandy Dennis in, in uh, um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. You yeah. could do it again, but you'd think, oh, God, there's only one, whatever, right. indelible thing. And in my plays, okay, that's a bad example because the play, okay, I think that depth is hard to for people to see if they just pick the script up and they've never seen the show. Right. So when I send my scripts out, unless somebody has specifically seen the show and gets the tone, they just, they don't get it at all. It doesn't jump off the page as as serious, as deep, as pretentious and artsy-fartsy. Y- yes, because well, because my everything in my staging would go against the idea that these people are a bunch of hicks living in a, in a trailer. Right. And when anybody else does it, all they do is emphasize, like when Steppenwolf did Pop Mom. Yeah. They, you know, they they had a bong that was three and a half. No, okay, it was at least two feet tall. Right. Um, and and they wanted surf music to be playing because I was from California, you know. And it's like, and that is typically what people do with my plays. If I'm not watching them, is they emphasize all the wrong things, and it's they're very easy to pick on. So about those early plays, the depth is so easily dismissed and I'm, I'm the most un- misunderstood they just misunderstand me I mean look at any of the reviews that came out of Chicago at least I didn't see them but they just did voice us in Chicago and apparently the reviews are beyond the pale Oh, um, somebody told me one of the, that the first sentence was truly wretched voice lessons is brilliant truly wretched did Laurie Metcalf do it in Chicago? Uh-huh. he was the same cast and it was a Steppenwolf um, uh, in any case I, I, I don't want this to sound like sour grapes. No, but it's... I, I don't... It, it's this, this play is different because, to me, it's the first play of mine that I could hand to any company in any college group in the country, and they would have no doubt as to how to make this play work. Right. And so, so in a way, that I get makes that. me feel like, okay, this is my first, in a way, adult play. Right. Or ready for mass consumption. Maybe I'll never write a play like that. But do, what's this, the guy who did... Um, Charles Bush, he did the the uh, the tale of the Alex's wife, right, and suddenly yeah. he had a play that you could, could right. go anywhere. And not, most of his plays, even though they're great and funny, outside of a certain market, they're not going to be right. And so maybe that's what this play will be for me. Maybe I'll never write another play, or maybe this is the beginning of a whole new series of of plays that really begin my playwriting. Yeah, career. I'm open for any of it at all. Were you physically in pain as you were typing it? Was it? 
that position was a sitting position to type. Y- yes, but I gotta tell you, when you fall, I was falling in love to play, and falling in love makes is the best analgesic. Is that the right word? Yeah. So I I would immerse myself into it, and so I was like, okay, and also I had no other choice. I couldn't. I, I was. You're in. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. that's really inspiring. That's really inspiring to hear that. Um, I just saw voice lessons not that long ago with Laurie Metcalf and Miley. It would have been a couple of years ago. So funny. Yeah, it's a true. It's, it's it. Laurie Metcalf plays plays a woman who wants to take voice lessons because she thinks she's a great singer. Yes, and she's not at all. <laughs> yes, it was it was sort of like after the um, the American Idol made everyone feel like, well, heck, I could do that. Right. Even though. Meaning that even the bad singers could get on TV right. and get that embarrassing audition. And it was like, oh, heck. And somebody who's delusional and does... It, I got to say, that... that uh, gosh, sorry. You, you take take the reins on that. Because I, I have issues about that play that I, that make it difficult for me to talk about. Okay. So I will let you take, take the reins I, I just on thought one. it was really hilarious. Yes. And a little bit squirmy. Oh, for sure. She is, I, I and do think she's I, and one of the greatest stage actresses, actors, of any gen, whatever. Yeah. Because she's so fucking ima- imaginative and disturbing, and she doesn't care whether you love her on stage or like her or anybody. She yeah. can be, she she could because that character is so unsympathetic. Right. There isn't a crack in her armor right. where, where the audience can get their fingers in, like, you know, there's no right. warm and cuddliness. And yeah. that is... Very brave and daring, but there's nobody else you'd rather watch. Be. Her, she said her favorite character to play at one point was um, a victim with an attitude, which to me is like uh, that uh, in uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. Um, uh, who's the daughter who's like, oh, I got something to say. And the one who got raped, oh, I got raped and that. Yeah. Like she's just that sort of person who is totally in the wrong, but they've absolutely, you know, they're going to have a, a chip on their shoulder about it. Um, I don't know if that described it well. Right. Anyway, but that's, that was, she's marvelous. All right. We can edit that part out. Right? I love it. Yeah, <laughs> no, great. it's great. Um, and she's having a big moment. What's it like for you when you see the actors that you've worked with in like bigger things? Oh. Like I first saw Mark Ruffalo in, in one of your plays. Yes. It makes, Barbie and Ken, uh, or what was it called? Barbie and Ken at Home? Barbie and Ken at Home. Yeah. He did, and he did the 10 show. He did a couple of plays. Boy, what a great guy. Super fun and super sweet. And we all had just gigantic crushes on him. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, sort of mind-blowing when you see... Do you know what? I, I try to think, back in... Back when French had his first success, I was having my success at Universal for, for a while, so I thought, oh, this is great. I didn't have any jealousy. Um, and it depends on if I'm mad at them, then I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm mad. But yeah. I, I don't really hold grudges. And I don't, and hopefully... So, for instance, when, when Lori, who I've been seeing on stage for so long, and when she's been in movies, she's been, you know, little little tiny parts. Right. Um, but great, like when she was in, uh, where she got, got shot, when she was a cop and got shot, that movie with, uh, uh, anyway, you'll look it up and figure out what it was. And we'll figure okay. out what it was. So when I finally saw um, that she was getting this opportunity, yeah. that, because, you know, who's, uh, anyway, Lady Bird is fantastic, and I went and saw it in San Diego with my friend, and I was just like, from the first second, I just like, oh, it's like, you so proud, and also just like it's about freaking time, right? Um, and and I'm thinking, God, she's great in this, but she's been great in a lot of things, right? And I'm glad that the mojo all came together. Right. So now, obviously, she's going to be thought of in a totally different way, which she ought to. But yeah. at the same time, you know, Broadway, 
finally. Right. Two, getting the Doll's House 2. and Yeah. I, She's got another show coming coming this spring, I guess. I've always considered her, and I, myself the luckiest playwright, when I got, well, for everybody in the company, but when she kind of shone her spotlight on me, um, coming from Steppenwolf, and have, a lot of people took me more seriously. Um, I'd say that's the only reason Gordon Davidson ever came and saw a play of mine, was because was to see Laurie. He could cared less about me. I don't mean to speak ill of the dead. Gordon Davidson... Uh, he was the head of the Center Theater Group, right? Yes. No hero to me. Right. But a huge hero to a lot of people in L.A. theaters. So for that reason, God bless him. Right. But the only reason he came to see my play was because Laurie was in it and, and he wanted to wrangle her into a part at the taper. Right. Um, which, I got to say, she... she So for that, she, she was an early fan of mine that actually fucking made a difference. And I respect her for that. And she got me into Steppenwolf twice, yeah. you know? What um, what show did she discover you on? Did she uh, come with a friend and see one of your shows? Lee Garlington, who was on Roseanne, yeah. was in Pop Mom. Right. So she invited Lori to see Pop Mom. And, that's, uh, and I was so nervous, because I had been such a huge fan of Roseanne, um, that I wouldn't come out of the dressing room. And Lee Garlington had to drag me out there to meet Lori. And she said I would do... You know, this reminds me of Steppenwolf in the early days... Uh, and I would work with you anytime, and I just went, sure, and never called her. Um, and she gave me your number, never called her. A year later, I opened, uh, gosh, Interventional Heartbreak Help. And yeah. she came to the opening of that, and she goes, she said the same thing. I would work with you anytime. And then I told Diana Gibson, my producer, and she said, she said, what? Yeah. You work with her during time. And then immediately she started doing plays. So what was, was the first thing she did for you, with you? Oh, gosh, I think it was, you know what? Oh, a pop mom. When we, we yeah. did, she came in, we did a special remounting of the original cast. But did uh, she play the mom? She, was, she played so she, the friend. Yes, yeah, she did the best friend part. Yeah. The, the, Beth Ruscio, if you remember her back yeah. in the original cast, she did that. I got to interview her a couple of months ago, as, or early in January, not that long ago. Um, I already talked about this on the podcast, but I'm going to tell you the story. Um, I was helping out ABC one day, conducting interviews at TCA's, and she was there promoting Roseanne. And they were asking all of the... Disney was doing this Disney Dream Big Princess initiative, which was like a sort of charitable thing where they're inspiring young women and, and young people to go after their dreams and to work hard and stuff. So a lot of the ABC actors, uh, the women, agreed to be interviewed about it. So um, I asked her, the, you know, and they had these questions that were like, what was your dream when you were growing up? And what's your secret to success? Things like that. And she talked about when she was a kid growing up, she wanted to be an actor, but she kept it a secret. She didn't tell anyone because she felt like it was impossible. Like, she didn't see the way to do it. So she kept it a secret for so long. And that it was painful to keep it a secret. Like, it felt... It didn't feel good. Um, and then I threw in one question at the end. I said, well, you know, that that small-town girl that kept that dream a secret, how, how do you think she'd feel about this this period right now that you're having? And her eyes welled up like that. Her access to her emotions was so instantaneous and, and and she sort of she goes oh I need to I need to slow down you know like she she acknowledged how moving it was to even think about to connect those dots like that and everyone that was in the room that that witnessed it when, when she got up and, and she was out I was like that was kind of amazing wasn't it so I I just I I um, that she so tapped into her sort of dream still and the journey of it all and not and not caught up in all of the other stuff. Especially when she's thrown right now in the middle of all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. And also how 
quickly she could could uh, access her emotions. Yeah. It's yes, she's well, as I said, I, one of the greats. I love that. So let's talk about some of the TV stuff in your adventures in Hollywood cuz because uh, I feel like uh, I've not had a great run in that area. Um, what was your favorite thing that you've worked on in that? In that, uh... um, I loved the year I spent on Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Uh, because Amy was uh, just a, a, a lot of fun to work with. Right. And she was so incredibly kind to the writing staff. She took us to, to Vegas on her dime yeah. to meet before we actually met in the writer's room just for a weekend to get like the ball rolling and yeah. did a lot of drinking and had went out for steaks and stuff. And so that was a lot of fun. I love and, hearing that. Cause you... and I learned, I'll just say, I learned some more from her than from anybody else I'd worked with in television because nobody before that really could tell me how to write a fucking script. Yeah. You know, and, and everyone just thought, Oh, you write plays. Instant, right. you're gonna do it. Right. And, I, and I said, I don't know what I'm doing, guys. Right. But she did. She was like, okay, this is. And I, I did um, what they call a writer's draft. Uh, they, first of all, I went in there not knowing I was ever gonna. They told me my agent told me I was not gonna have to write a script. I get in and I get. Uh, she goes, oh, you're doing episode five. I'm like, really? Because they liked, I guess, liked me. And yeah. Then I turned in the script and it was awful. I looked at it a couple of years ago. It's awful. And she yeah. fixed it. Rewrote every single line of it. Um, but was kind and kept the illusion up that I had actually written it. And at the table read, you know, thanks me for the script. And I was like, oh. So that was not so good. But um, I love when there's somebody whose name is well known and, and you admire what they've done and stuff. It's so nice to hear that that she was cool. Yeah, she was. Yeah. She was very, uh, um, yeah, so, but, but mostly I, I'm, uh, I wasn't really, oh, I wasn't super suited to that particular world. It's a different world now. It isn't more like... Uh, you're going to be a scrillionaire or there's nothing. There's all different levels to yeah. TV writing now. Oh, and also I did, um, I worked on a show with David Fincher about four, three years ago that didn't, that was on HBO and then it got the plug pulled right before they were in the middle of filming, right before they were filming my episode. They'd, I think, done four of them and then the plug got pulled. But I spent one day in a room with the two creators and David Fincher and I just, I don't think I opened my mouth once. I just was like, what was this. it like? What was he like? He's so he's great and enthusiastic and super knowledgeable, and and um, I I just I got a good vibe from him. Yeah. And and I was too. I I don't think I opened my mouth once because uh, they were talking about the episode I was about to write. Yeah. And I just thought, I you know, I don't. It's not about me. I just wanted to hear everything. Right. And he just he gave me all of his advice, and I just meant. Thank I, you. I I don't even think I opened my mouth. I literally think thumbs up. Thumbs was up was, said. yeah. I was too, because he, he wasn't supposed to come in. He just right. was there. We did it with his, at his production company, and he just walked in the, the door and sat down. And, did they, so they never aired? The whole show never aired? No. no what was no. it called? Um, originally, it was called Living on Video, and then it, the, the title for HBO Oh, was it was the one about Video the, it, 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 was it was about MTV. MTV. It was a fucking great show. Was what great the, what show. was wrong with that? I don't know. I have no idea what happened. That's um, so crazy. It was a, and it was about the the go the people who worked all those hundreds of hours, all, like the behind the scenes people, the right. golfers, the, yeah. the grips, and a bunch of costume, like the peripheral. Right. Um, um, and you never really got to see. I mean, like one of the episodes took place on the filming of the thriller video. Right. And you just hear in the background them rehearsing, rehearsing, and people coming through in zombie costumes and yeah. the makeup people going crazy and somebody. Well, it just it had a. a 
it's just happening right off screen. For you. Right. It, it had a feeling of like, it was like behind the scenes of what we all have seen and experienced back then. Yeah. That show sounds like it would be great. Yes. I'm bummed out. Yeah. I think, Who created it? Um, gosh, you know what? They're going to kill me. That's all right. But you know how I got the job? I got the job because of Potwell. Because both the people who worked, who were connected to Faber Fincher and the people who were connected to HBO, simultaneously, my name, when they saw this project, they both thought because of Potwell. He's perfect for this. And yeah. then I went in and I got, you know, so that's, and I hadn't worked for years and it's been dry since then. Yeah. But, it's crazy. I, I feel like the universe doesn't want me to be doing that. <laughs> well, I would say the same thing for myself. Because it keeps you know? like, anyway, it's, another, it's neither here nor there. Now, Avenue 43? Yes. How many seasons have you done of that? That's your web series. Yes. Uh, 80, uh, no, we've, uh, seasons are weird. Or episodes. Eight, um, 87. 87 episodes, and each one is... Between the shortest is like three and a half minutes, and the yeah. longest, I think, is about 13 or 14 minutes. I love it. How would you describe it? It's kind of like a soap, like a serialized... It, it's a... Uh, gosh. It, it's a soap opera that that has uh, traces... It's partially John Watersy, a little yeah. bit um, uh, David Lynch... Uh, it's done very straight. It's not done campily. Right. Uh, but it's... He, he, oh, here's what it is. It's like when you go to the movie theater and you see the preview for a film and the preview shows you the whole movie so you don't need to see it. Right. When I first started, so I thought, oh, I'll just make this show be nothing but sensation. Right. Like, so you don't need any kind of setups or any sort of establishing shots. You just go to the next... It's like, oh, the knife is in the hand. The woman's yeah. screaming. Oh, yeah. they're conniving. Yeah. Oh, they're caught in bed together. Oh, Satan just came out. And then that's where it started. And then um, I, I just, it has had over, I think over 80 actors have been in it over the years. That's incredible. What has it meant for you as a project in your life? Has it been somewhere to, to really channel your creativity? It. Has it been something, does I it love to edit been profitable? And I didn't know and, much yeah. it, no, no profit. Right. Uh, but it's been a social scene because my friends all come over here. Yeah. I, I work like a dog sometimes for six hours on my feet, lugging lights around. Yeah. And then I have drinks and food afterwards. Yeah. And then, but mostly it's because I love editing more than anything. If I could be anything else, then would it be an editor? And you so, discovered that doing this? Yes. So I sit down with, I can look at God knows how many takes and go, those two are the exact match or that's going to go, oh, whatever. And you do it, do you do it on Final Cut or no, iMovie like the oldest version? I do it like people. You who can get old school iMovie. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I get that. I'm starting this side business where I interview people about their lives and like I'm editing in GarageBand because that's what I know, you know. And everyone's yes. like, I really should step it up, but it's like what you know and it works. Yes, I love that. All right. And when, are you going to do another season soon? Yeah. Or, yeah. Once this yeah. play opens and it runs, and we'll see how long it goes, I'm going to get back into it. I love it. What? But having something that's on the web that you do you get do you hear from people all over the world like when something's out like that like has there been anything that's just, come out of it that surprised you? Uh, the, when the, when the, the Guardian UK listed it as one of the top twenty five web shows you should be watching, I thought, how did the Guardian UK right. even hear about the show? And after that, so that's great. Um, and it's but it has it doesn't have a huge following. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be something that's discovered. Eventually, yeah. I always have this dream that David Lynch is going to be shown any episode of it, and he's going to go, "Who the who the fuck is this guy? I've got to see it." You know, but that's as far as my dreams go with yeah. that show. Mostly, it's an opportunity to get my friends in front of a camera, so that even even though it's just a shitty camera in my house, yeah. we treat it absolutely as if we're on a real set. It's and that's always good experience. 
I, I get this from your plays and from the way you ran the theater. The social aspect of all of this stuff is really important to you. Number one, because writing plays number is one no is a lonely business. Posterity, who knows if I'm going to be read? Right. Um, right now, the the joy I have hanging out with a group of people who are all it isn't just for nothing. We're here to do something. Right. So that's that's sort of like the what we're all gathered around the yeah. fire about. But then it's over, and then we, we can get down to what's really here. Either smoking a bowl of marijuana or right. having a cocktail. <laughs> a lot of times I'm cooking food right. and then we eat. So that that's the thing. The social element to me because that's what I'm living right now. What do I care about posterity? Right. You know, I'm not going to be there for it. Um, you know what I did my birth, What I did for my birthday last year? What did you do? Uh, I, 20 of us went and saw Heartbreak Help. Oh, that's... Oh, yeah. Okay. And and loved it. It was one yeah, of... Me too. Yeah. I had... Very different. Yeah, very different. And really it used it. to be two acts, right? Yep. But I but I really... We all really enjoyed it. I thought the actors were terrific. Yeah, me too. Teresa Ganzel, especially to me, was Yes. She I played this her. kind of... Yeah. Did you... Everybody. Did you have much to do with the actual production? Or did Not they just come to you and say, we want to do this? I did a... I edited... Um, I... W- I worked on the script and edited it. Like, God, that's a hard word. Edited it right. a lot. Um, yeah. And then, but no, I had nothing to do with the direction. I just showed up. I love that it's sort of, it was kind of at the beginning of this, they were all at this conference, this this help self-help conference, mm-hmm. but where you realize that the people running the show, like the, the ones that everyone idolizes, the Bryn, mm-hmm. whatever her name is, was kind of an asshole. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like there's a lot of that out there. Like these people that are supposed to have all the answers that make their living helping other people to be their best selves are dicks. Yes. <laughs> if you ran into them in the lobby, would probably be a dick. But in, the point of the play, I think, is in spite of all that, what is, if you are... If you buy the book about heartbreak, if you make the call to get a therapist, whatever tiny step you take, that is going to help create movement in your life. Yeah. And if you're just hanging out with a bunch of women in a motel room talking about who knows what, you know, and fighting over cookies and having pillow fights, you are there because of a purpose, and that makes all the difference. Yeah. That's, anyway, so I, I, you're, you're taking a step. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. you're connecting. Even if it's dorky. Even yeah. if it's people get, stripping naked and dancing in the right. moonlight. Yeah. You know, I read this book about Stephen King when he was writing about writing, and one of the things he said that sort of stuck with me is like, uh, something like this. On your first draft, don't worry about the theme. It will emerge, and then yes. you start to figure out how to, oh, I could kind of beef that up there and underscore that. Do you know what your plays are, quote-unquote, about no, when you start tell them? Tell me what they're about. They, they do. tell you. They do. I think that, I yes. think that's the way it is, right? I know that, well, yes. The, yep, yeah. I think that going in with an agenda... Um, is harder because then you're going to be supporting this agenda even if that agenda isn't what it ends up being about. And you're going to have to deconstruct all of this foundation you've put up over, and it'll be harder to let go of it. Yeah. For me, that's why I'm like, it's going to show me. And yeah. even if it shows me and I think it's perfect, I can just, I have to throw the thing out completely and not be precious. That is, you know, you just, the play's going to... So the, the themes emerge. It tells you what it yeah, wants to be. Mm-hmm. I love that. And hopefully you're saying something. I yeah. hope I'm saying something eventually. I interviewed a writer recently who, when he needed names of characters, he would go to uh, cemeteries. Oh. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, that's kind of a fun trick, you know? And he would mix and match. or Because sometimes, with me, if I don't know the name, if I don't have the right name, I, it's not... They, I have a hard... I get stuck, you know what I mean? I feel like I have to... Come up with I, I, the person. How do you get your name? Until I get my names, I use the name of the actor that I wrote it for. Oh, that's so cool. So for the longest time, it would be 
John, Danielle, Miley, yeah. those are the that was the name of yeah. the thing. And eventually I would do it, you know. And, and I blew it. I, I named one of Danielle's characters Gert. Gert. <laughs> and then I finally, well, I just thought, that's the stupidest thing. And then I just eventually changed it. And she said, thank you so much. I'm so glad my name's not Gert. I love that. Do you have any other, like, writing tricks or things that you do that are sort of, I don't know. Index cards? Index cards. Uh, the the order of the events is the most important thing to writing. Yeah. I, I've started a business, a notes writing business, which has really taken off. And the, Oh, the, yeah. The, tell us about that. The number, it's called Justin's Notes. Okay. And I start, I, I have been inundated with scripts. It's like a, like a consulting business where sure. I, I read for a fee and I give you an hourly, uh, consultation on the phone for right. a fee and oh, I'll just say the number one thing I have because my whole thing is here's the top five fixes yeah and the top, the number one fix almost without a, without exception is structure and it, the order of the events and a lot of people just can't see it out of a particular way so take each action beat whether it's a joke or whatever put it on an index card shuffle them all up and then look at them and go is that is that beginning middle or end and, you, and if you don't know, I don't know. And then you realize how many times you're repeating beats that can come together. And, and you can also see it in a way that you... As a lot of people can't get out of the first idea they have. And, and because yeah. once you start pulling strings, you think, oh, it's all going to fall apart. And it has to. So, But anyway, index cards don't work without them. Because if you're confused and something's not working, you can instantly just go, okay, well, what if he... Puts the you know he yeah. gets the the inheritance first. Yeah. Then he marries the right. countess. Right. Know, then the earthquake happens. Then the, the, the right. Whatever, you know, that's the number one thing. What are the other the other things? You said there are oh, five things. You, they're specific to each one. Oh, okay. But uh, I would say. Uh, so that's what people get from you when yeah, you do yes. I just found that it had so happened that yeah. the structure was up. But tone, um, character, uh, uh, you know what? It's specific. But do you I, find that when you? When you read things that you are really opinionated and you do... Because I sometimes yeah. I don't do well with other people's stuff. In other words, I don't go, oh, I know what this should be. I, I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't have the... It's not my sensibility. I, I can tell when something's going off. I can pinpoint yeah. where, oh, and then I just have to go on faith. Yeah. Words, I, I pretend that I would have been given the assignment to turn this thing yeah. into something with my name on it. Right. So I figure, how would I adapt this if I was going to put my name on this? Right. And that immediately, I just go, oh, well, if I had to do it. Yeah. So that's even if you... That gives you, that gives yourself the permission to go, this isn't right here, you know. Well, and also, it's even if it's the worst thing you've ever read, yeah. you have to go, okay, I have to f- find a way. And then you can turn anything into something that's interesting. Yeah. If you If you put it through, if, if you know, that that's... If I, I'm saying that my th- filter is right. good enough to be a filter that I can put almost any work of art through yeah. and be able to improve on it. But I do believe that that is the most useful use of my time I've ever experienced, even more than writing plays. Is this, I've never felt more useful than when I get the comments back from the people I've written notes to. And I have not been, I mean, I'm always super kind at first, all the pluses, and then I just go in there and go, Yeah. And to every single person has said, you don't know how much this has helped, and it's, I've been saying this to myself, and whatever. Well, yeah, it gives you, it gives you another vantage point. Fresh eyes, sure. smart eyes, talented eyes. How can people learn about that? Do you have, like, a website for it? Yes, or? it's just, I'm just getting it together. I will. Okay. It's, just, it, it's uh, I, I did a first month free on Facebook. I love it. And it was like, you know, get get the hair I love on. it. It was all about starting your side hustles. That's what I've been yeah, doing with yeah, my yeah. other business. So good for you. Yeah. 
And it's isn't it good to have something you have a little bit more control over and and something yeah. I love. And it's yeah. also something I don't have to really care about on an artistic level. Right. It isn't my life or death, but I can help somebody else. And you're and really helping people. Yes, to learn how to rewrite. Yeah. Which it's not not the first thing, but rewriting seems to be where most people drop the ball. They don't know how to improve it because they don't yeah. know how to, you know, and so you just got to go, well, take it all out. I think you probably, I wonder if you've ever experienced this thing of like where you're not feeling super confident about what you know or whatever, and then you start to do it and you're like, Oh, I know this shit. I know things. Yeah. I have ideas about this. And I feel like my experience is, is, is uh, coming to fruition in this way. Whereas looking, looking at it before, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can help you. Or I don't know what I'm doing. If I were any good, I'd be, you know. But you'd be surprised. Yeah. You just have to, by doing. All right. You pick some questions from the observation deck. Right. Oh, these are fun. What movie have you seen more than any other? Um, oh, uh, 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 Ace in the Hole. What's that? that? That Billy Wilder. I was thinking. Oh yeah, the yeah, Billy yeah. Wilder film. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, with Jan Sterling and Kirk Douglas. For some reason, that I don't know why I've seen it more than any other film. I would say The Apartment, Dodsworth, uh, uh, Night of the Iguana. Those are all my favorite films. Yeah. And I could see them again and again and again. But but for some reason. That's I, the one you saw. I love Jan Sterling. Have there been? Um, have you ever tried to adapt any of your plays for movies, or has there been interest, or? Yeah. You know. Yes, I think that's all coming. I did yeah. a little bit when uh, Party Mix almost got me made for yeah. the film and Pop Mom. Uh, and you were on the zombie tip be- way oh, before yeah. uh, Shaun of the Dead, way yes, before Walking Dead. And Stuart Gordon. Yeah. You know Stuart Gordon, the director. Yeah. Twice almost made Zombie Attack into a film that never yeah. happened, but you know, he reanimated her guy. Um, that's good. What movie did you see when you were way too young to see it? Oh, um, Death Wish. Death Wish was on <laughs> Z Channel or yeah. whatever, and I was home alone. And I right. walked into the, the and I turned the TV on, and there's Hope Lang getting like raped horribly and brutalized. But I think um, uh, Jeff Goldblum is one of the wow. Films. That's it's, anyway, and that shocked me and was horrible. So that yeah. was, I and it stayed it. with you. You're like oh, yeah. no more. What's the worst thing that's ever gone wrong for you on stage? Because you you act sometimes. Um, oh yes, for for well, I, the, the, a wall fell down during Teen Girl in the middle of the show, and Brendan Brahms put the wall back up and said, "Oh, your mom's going to be so mad," and we moved on. But that was that's pretty hilarious. hilarious. Yes, my favorite line from Teen Girl is when Thea Constantine was sitting out the sliding glass door on the patio, and Laurel Green was talking about how glamorous L.A. must be. Well, I just think it's something I... This, and she is like, it's exactly like, like that. that. <laughs> yes, oh, that's right. So, oh, it's, I just imagine everyone's having a wonderful, marvelous time and it's a great thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she's yeah. in the back, just exactly for all exactly. it can be. I love it. Have you ever stolen anything? Um, yes, I got caught shoplifting when I was young uh, and uh, at the... A model, uh, like a, a spaceship model. Right. And... They took me in the back and they and they said, "What's your what's your phone phone number?" And I just blurted it out. Right. And they said, "We are going to be calling your parents today." Wow. And so I went home. They never called my parents. Wow. But for the next three or four days, I just every time the phone rang, I ran over. You were just it. a wreck. And they didn't call the cops and they didn't punish me, but they they did the exact right thing. I never stole again. I was terrified of it. Yeah. And I didn't have to suffer like the sh- was, shame yeah. of, of an actual you know jail thing. Yeah. How old were you? Oh God, let's see. I was in probably. A, Oh, sixth grade, so I don't know how old that is. All right, yeah, all right. What celebrity death hit you the hardest? Oh, God, this is ridiculous, but um, James Gandolfini. Uh, it's not ridiculous. He's um, great. I just, because I think, uh, for some reason, I thought, oh, man, they're never going to, because the Sopranos is one yeah. of touchstone. And I thought, oh, that's really it. There's never going to be another Sopranos episode now. Yeah. It's over. Um, 
And I don't really get... So that's it. That was one that just made me... Yeah, and he seemed nice. He seemed like a nice, kind of humble yeah. person from what you hear. Yep. Uh, what's the worst job you ever had? Oh, I worked in a, um, a laundromat feeding sheets into the mangle machine, you know, the big giant mangler. Oh, wow. And, and it was me in this kind of... Oh, and I won't get into it. But the, there were people who... Uh, uh, like on the fringes of the of society who were right. in this job, and then there was me. And I was maybe 16, and I was trying to make up money because I wanted to go to New York. And it was just awful. Yeah. Awful. Not fun. No. Any skinny dipping stories? Oh, yes. There was a... Um, we, we, this right before Zombie Attack opened, we went out... Andy Daly had a house in the valley that, it, that was going to be flipped. Right. And he said, let's go out there and have a big crazy party. There's a pool. And so we had a, a late night party, and it was Mary Shear, and the whole cast was on Attack. I think we ran nude around the pool. <laughs> Everyone was screaming. naked. We just all decided, and then um, they, they, there was a note on the door the next day. It said, "Like one more um, hippie acid party, and we're calling the cops." <laughs> uh, and then they lost. So that seems money. like something that would be in one of your plays. Yes, actually. truly. Uh, who's the first person that says, "Let's do"? Because it's somebody has to start. You know what? We were just we were all. I, I don't remember. You know, it was Mary Shear. I just remember I was sitting. We were all stoned. And she just came, ran by in my periphery, completely nude. Yeah. And just doing like a gig, like pretending to be like, oh, no, like trying to cover herself with her hands. I like it. Screaming and squealing. And then she yeah. j- jumped into the pool and then the rest of the thing. This is a random question I just thought of that I want to know. What's it like when a show closes, finishes its run? When it's supposed to, not like closes early or anything. But is there like, is there like a... Postpartum thing that happens. Oh, for sure. Or, yeah. It's awful. Because the thing about the cast is they ran for so long, I just got a, uh, used to the idea that you could just run, 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 run. Right. I remember when it was like you were doing all of your shows in repertory, so every night was a different show. You know what it's like? It's like I being, went like three or four times a week. Wait, it's like being going to the Louvre and pulling down a painting and saying, this painting is no longer on display. It's done. Because yeah. it can never be, nobody can ever see Laurel Green do Teen Girl ever again. Oh, she's so good. So that's the sound. The Carpenter's song, when yeah. she plays, I could just, oh. Anyway. What was your lowest point professionally? You picked it. Oh, God. <laughs> it's one of my favorite cards. It's one of my favorite cards because I feel like um, okay, I can know, relate to a lot of what people say. I would, well, it's, it's it was very long lowest right. point professionally. I would say between 2009 and... When I got the, um, there was a point when I was really self-destructive. Um, I lost all my money. I, I lost my health insurance. I, I went off of antidepressants called Turkey. I was drinking and all day and smoking pot all day. Um, and I went through a series of bridge-burning experiences with people who were there to help me. Um, and I'm not going to say any of their names, but that was it. I went through and just torched all my ships and said, I'm going to be on this desert island by myself. Fuck you all. Um, and, and I built from there, but that was probably low. So I would say 2009. What turned it around? Uh, very, uh, having plantar fasciitis. Yeah. That's what turned it around. That's what turned it around, is that horrible thing that was so yes. painful. Yes, That's really Because it showed me what real suffering was, physical yeah. pain was. And then it was like, well, then now what? Anyway, I, but it took a long time. But also, in the meantime, I, I learned to meditate. Yeah. Um, I got into very, a great therapist. Um, I... I Changed my whole body shape. I yeah, you're in great shape. I changed everything, but I did it really slowly. But that's what it was. 2009, and then I was on a slow slog till um, I would say. I mean, okay, during that time, I was doing Avenue 43. Right. But that to me was like uh, it felt like a hobby. It yeah. didn't feel like I was doing. It wasn't really. I kept expecting it to be a huge hit overnight. But yeah. you know, it, was, 
Anyway, so that's it. That was my lowest. You mentioned meditation, but you also mentioned suffering. I, I took this mindfulness-based stress reduction course at UCLA because I was having digestive issues and it was, you know, I was going through some stuff. And one of the things that, that stuck with me from that class is this idea that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Like this idea in our heads. Yes. And, I, and, and I, when I'm going through it, I think, I try to think of that sometimes where I'm like, I, okay, you can't, it's like the first arrow hits you, whatever that is that's bad, you can't do anything about that. So something happened. But you can do, you can do how you deal with it or something, yes. whatever. It's well, not always I, easy to do, but I do think of that a lot. Yes. Yeah. And I would say it, it's like, it's either suffering, suffering that has no purpose and then there's suffering that you right. put a purpose on. So that's legit. Yeah. You try to shift your thinking a little if you can. What's the coolest thing you ever got for free? Why did I put that on there? Oh, oh, the co- you know what? Here, we... We'll take a picture Christian's of whatever it is. In, actually, it's gone because Christian okay. is gone. Um, okay. Christian had a car. I don't have a car. Yeah. Um, and it was running. It, was, it broke down. And he said yeah. on Facebook, anybody can sell me a car for a dollar. And we had three people who offered to give us a free car. And so our great friend, Chrissy Guerrero, who is in Avenue 43, she plays uh, Vanessa Blow Me on Avenue 43. Yeah. The uh, newscaster, she gave us... a. It was not a brand new car, but for us, and it, they took exquisite care of it. So we got like a like a, a mom van that now is so much better, and we got it like next day. And right. So that was it. I got a car, free car yeah. overnight. And I love that. A year ago. That's so. That's really nice. Yeah. It makes you believe in the universe that you put it out there and something's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. You. What do you think of Facebook? Um, I use it for what it's there for. Yeah. Like I, I have to watch myself because the, uh, the triggers are so easy yeah. for me to get uh, hooked up there. I know. But That's me too. I can, um, it's, it's, uh, for business reasons and I like, I consider it being like the mayor of a small town. Yeah. You are the mayor and you decide who gets to live in your town. Yeah. Um, and it's only going to be 5,000 people in your town, although people will hear about your town. And that's it. After that, it's like, it's like, oh, there's a little bit of power in my friends, and I have my newspaper, and I get right. to get, see what the headline is. And that's yeah. I do. I, tr- I try to not scroll so much because it, it, it can send me there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's, it's like, oh, look who's doing good in show business today. And <laughs> I was like, you know what? I didn't need to see that. Yes. But uh, um, why do you write? Because uh, I like I think my point of view is not represented and I think it's and well I gosh you know what ah uh, I you know what I want to entertain myself and my friends yeah that's awesome I want to make my friends laugh yeah and if it makes other people laugh that's great but it's mostly I'm telling you it's about this group which one of them is sitting out to the other right now. John I Mom love it. Waiting for me. I know. I thought, like, that's the guy from Pop Mom. All right. We'll wrap it up. Um, tell folks how they can go see your show. Oh, I wish I had all the information in front it's of me. It's all right. Me. Um, I, it's can put, I can link to a, a website. It, it's uh, at, at Rogue Machine Theater, um, which is, uh, uh, it opens on February 24th. It's going to be running Saturdays at 8.30, Sundays at 3, and Mondays at 8.30. Uh, because they found that it was easier to get an audience on Mondays than Fridays because of traffic in L.A. Interesting. The sort of big thing that Fridays is no longer a viable night to do theater unless you're for small theater. You just can't get an audience. That's and they, Mondays are now like this the hot new thing. night. So. I love that. It's so good to see. And Avenue 43 is on YouTube. Yep. Yep. I love it. All right. Justin, I adore your work so much. It's brought me so much joy in my life. And and it's not just funny haha. It's There's a profound 
humanity to it, and uh, I just want to put well, that out you. there. Thank yeah. you very much. And thank I can't you. wait to see this new show. Me too. Yay! Thanks again to Justin Tanner. Go see his play, El Nino. It opens Saturday, February 24th at the Rogue Machine at the Met Theater. Rogue Machine is the theater company. Their home is the Met Theater on Oxnard Avenue in L.A. So uh, they open on the 24th, and they run through, I don't know, maybe there's no end date. But uh, Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays are their showtime. So uh, I'm excited to see it. Uh, I'm in New York now, but when I go back, uh, I'm seeing it. And I'm really excited. There you go. All right, so this happened. I'm in New York um, for these live cast interviews, and I was able to see some friends and also catch some shows. So I saw three shows on Broadway. Uh, The first night, I met up with my friend Aaron Quill, who was like my second podcast guest on here ever. And we were... We met at TKTS. We didn't know what we were going to try to see. I couldn't spend very much money. And this gentleman came up, and he had $30 tickets for The Band's Visit, which is a new musical. It's based on a film that I'd never seen. Um, But we snatched him up. We were in the mezzanine, but $30 for a Broadway musical. And uh, it snuck up on me emotionally, the the, the musical. Um, The music's beautiful. It's about an Egyptian band, like a, I don't know, eight- or nine-piece band, who is going to Israel to do a show and they end up in the wrong place and they get sort of stranded overnight in this desert town. And it's about how the band members and the local people interact and connect. And not a lot happens uh, in terms of plot, but it's the the way they're all changed from this experience. And, um, you know, I'm enjoying it. It's, it's engaging. And uh, by the end of it, like, this one person started singing, and I just started crying. Like, I just found it so moving. So, really glad I got to see that. And 30 bucks, and no service charges on top of that. That was it. In and out the door. So, that was the first show I saw. Um, my friend Doug Prinzavalli, who is from L.A., happens to be out here on business. And he had got a ticket to see the, sh- the play that goes wrong. That's what it's called. Uh, on Saturday night. And so, I knew he was going to that, so I was able to find uh, a ticket online in the balcony. I think I got the last one. Um, it wasn't too expensive. And the title says it all. The play goes wrong. It is so hilarious. Like, I don't ever remember laughing that hard in a Broadway theater. Um, it's a murder mystery, supposedly, but just everything can go wrong. Everything that goes wrong goes wrong. And the actors are sort of like they're not just really funny actors. They're kind of like stunt people because some of the physical stuff that they ended up doing uh, as more and more things go wrong were pretty remarkable. Um, At the end of the first act, you're like, what else can go wrong? I mean, I think everything already went wrong. And then you come back for the second act and you find out what else can go wrong. So if you happen to be in New York, uh, go see it if you want to laugh. It's so funny. And uh, hopefully it'll tour as well because... um, I want to see it again, and I don't live it here. So, and then on Sunday in the afternoon, I wanted to try to see if there's any way I could get into um, Dear Evan Hansen or Come From Away because I'd heard both great things about both of them. They were both on my vision board, right? So I go try to do the standby rush thing, the standing room only thing. No, 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 no. So, so it's about ten minutes to curtain. And I'm just standing by the come from away entrance where all the people are going with their tickets. And then I see this man standing by the curb and he's holding up a ticket. 
And I went up to him and I said, are, are you selling that? Is that an extra ticket? And he said, yes. It was for his wife. They bought the tickets a while ago, but she had to go back home for work early. So he's got an extra ticket. And I asked him how much it is. And it's front row center. And the surface ticket price on the, um, on the actual ticket is like $239. And I can't pay $239. But um, it was about to start. And I said, I, su- I suppose you need cash, right? And he said, yeah. And I opened up my wallet and I gave him all the money in my wallet, which was $101. And he gave me the ticket. And the next thing you know, there I am in the front row at Come From Away, which is the story of all of these planes that had to stop in this small town in Newfoundland, Newfoundland Canada, Newfoundland, Canada, called Gander, uh, on 9-11, when all the planes were diverted and they had to land somewhere. So 7,000 people descend on this small town and uh, it's about how the locals and the travelers sort of manage this incredibly traumatic time and how they sort of bonded and, and uh, helped each other. And I was so moved by it. I, I just was just a lot of crying happened. Um, and it was so nice to be so close. And it was so humane. It gives you hope in humanity at a time when we... I think we all need hope from humanity, hope in humanity. Um, And what was great about it is all the actors, I think there's like 12 of them maybe, they all play multiple characters. They all play many characters, and it's seamless how the storytelling unfolds, and they shift in and out, and there's not a big set. It's a lot of chairs and maybe a table or two uh, and a turntable that's pretty great. And the choreography is so great because they're not dancers per se but they do movements that are so perfect for what they're trying to convey and there's no star in the show everyone's pretty much equal they all have as much to do and because they're playing different characters you kind of got a sense of who the actors were in the middle like when it's when maybe they're not it's not their big moment but they're still on stage or whatever and you just felt how meaningful it was for them to be there in that show as the performer. Um, and I think it'll be one of those shows that people do a lot of places cause it, it doesn't require a huge set, but the uh, storytelling and the music were so beautiful. And uh, the point is vision boards work people. Cause I put that little thing up there. I stood there and I got to sit in the front row for $100. And uh, and the other weird thing was I was m- maybe supposed to have another interview on Sunday and for LifeCast, and it fell through. And I was a little disappointed and, like, you know. Um, but if I had been doing that, I wouldn't have gotten to see that show in that way. And that was pretty magical. So that's my New York trip. Um, thanks for listening this long. Speaking of great theater, go see El Nino, uh, Justin Tanner's new play starring Miley Flanagan, who is a past podcast guest. Um, I can't wait to see it myself. So thank you for listening. This is Dennis Anyone, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.